MAT, this is impressive and also fascinating. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I find it quite impressive also, um, even though I've been doing it for about three years now, each session and it's just as exciting as the last one, seeing the before and after results on people. Mm. Um, how much do you know about MAT? Uh, a little, you know, I'm a coach on the, on the floor, so I got to know something, but at the same time, I'm not in your position. I'm not in your seat. So I'm not, I'm definitely not stepping on your toes. Yeah. Well, um, muscle activation techniques or MAT kind of takes a, a different approach to improving joint stability and range of motion than your typical body worker, whether it be massage, chiropractic, physical therapy. Um, obviously, each one has their place. Um, but with MAT, we are specifically focusing on neuromuscular weakness. Um, so let's say you're a massage therapist and you have somebody who comes in, they say, you know, my back's really tight, my glutes are tight, my hamstrings are tight. Your massage therapist would typically go in and like take an elbow to all those muscles, right? Try and massage out the tightness. Well, our mentality with MAT is first, why are those muscles tight? Probably because there's weakness somewhere. And um, we go in and find those weaknesses. If your erectors, glutes, and hamstrings are tight, there's a really good chance that muscles on, you know, the more the front side of your body, your, your abdominals, your hip flexors, maybe your quads are weak. And so we go in and we focus on where the weakness is rather than where the tightness is. Um, and obviously physical therapy has a sim similar mentality as that with exercise. Um, but let's say a muscle has been shut down for a really long time. And um, let's say you had a low back injury and you have a couple herniated discs. This happened 10 years ago. Well, if you've been developing these compensation patterns over the last decade, sometimes it's really hard to go in with physical therapy exercise and strengthen a muscle that's been shut down for a long time. Mm. And you get to the point where the strong muscles get stronger and the weak just stay weak. So we're going in and kind of teasing out those weak muscles and isolating them so that we're not just going back and reinforcing a compensation pattern. Mm. Um, and I've seen some really amazing results with people. I, um, I have a guy who he has like horrible posture super rounded forward, extremely kyphotic, weak hips, no glutes, just absolutely flat as a board on his backside. But he also has a lot of other chronic issues. Like he has insomnia and can't sleep, struggles with his appetite and will be awake all night, tired during the day. And we've started doing a couple MAT sessions and he comes up to me and he's like, Shelby, I slept through the entire night for the first time. And I don't know how long. And, um, you know, we've I've run into these situations where unintended good consequences are happening. You know, I'm just focusing on improving his posture and improving the neuromuscular connection. And all of a sudden this guy is sleeping better. And what else can that do for his quality of life? Okay. He sleeps better. So now he recovers better. He has more energy during the day. He might have less chronic disease in the long term because he is sleeping better. It's not what I was treating and I'll never claim to be treating that. But it's been really cool to see some of these, like, unintended side effects. Wow. That's that's beautiful. You know, it's, a, like you said, it's an unintended side effect, but it's still there. You know, it still connects the dots. 
you know it's yeah. improving lives and sometimes we we just need to all right let's straighten you up a little bit let's make you move a little better let's get you a little fitter and then you know next thing you know this black box you know we focus on the input we don't really know what goes on in the in in the inside and then the output is just like oh shit well yeah. i'm not going to yeah. claim the <laughs> i'm not going to claim that but also good job we want to see more of that you know, and that's, um, you know, literally improving lives, man. Improving lives. I appreciate it. Um, I've experienced that for myself. I've seen a lot of my clients are elite athletes. I've seen their performance improve. Um, recovery from minor injuries uh, happen. Um, so it's it's been a really cool process. You know, seeing it online when you're watching a video of me doing a before, an activation, and an after – I get so many people like, oh, you're just not pushing as hard or, oh, how much is this of this is placebo? And I totally get it. Um, I mean, when I first started working on my husband, he was skeptical and he was like, you just didn't push me as hard. I'm like, no, I swear I pushed exactly the same. I, I promise I'm not changing it. I get accused of it all the time. Um, but it looks like looks like voodoo witchcraft magic. Right. And I just <laughs> You fly backwards. And, you know, I have clients that are. 300 plus pounds and I'm 150 pounds. Um, mm. I don't know. You probably talk in kilos, don't you? Kilos, man. Yeah. But it's uh, okay. So but... I'm like 65. No, not 65. Yes. About 65 kilos. And I'm working on people who are like 150 kilos. Mm. So like me, a 65 kilo person pushing around 150 kilo man, like, he should be stronger than me. And then all of a sudden I'm just like poking at the beginning and the ends of the muscle. And then now he can hold it. Like it, it looks like we're faking it when you watch a video sometimes. Mm. Um, so but where would you start? There's the uh, kind of where it's not, where it seems like a bit of witchcraft and a bit of voodoo, right? It's like, wh where would you start? Someone comes in, say, let's use the 300 pound book, mm -hmm. right? It comes in absolutely jacked the shit clearly strong right and you're like okay yeah. mega. like you you can lift some things up and potentially put them back down again you know but we do these tests and you're and you're weak as a wet noodle so where would you start that's actually a really great question um it kind of depends on what the goals of that person is um how much time and resources they want to commit to this um obviously i really believe in this method and i think a lot of time and resources um, getting put into this has a great return. So let's say you want to commit a lot of time and resources into this process and you're here for the long term. Um, well, there's two different types of MAT we can do. And this long term MAT, we call it MAT RX. Um, and it's RX because there's a very specific prescribed process that you go through. And you start at the trunk and we're going through what we call patterns. And essentially, it's like a movement pattern. So First pattern is trunk rotation. Second pattern is trunk flexion. Third pattern is hip flexion. And um, the guy who invented this, Greg Roscoff, he didn't actually pick the order. The nervous system kind of laid itself out. And that order happened to be the order of motor development. So when you're a baby, first you learn to roll over onto your belly. Then you learn to sit up. Then you learn to crawl. And the, this, these patterns ended up in that order. And so if I have somebody who, even if they have shoulder pain, but they want to do this for the long term, they're an elite athlete or maybe just your everyday gym goer, and they understand how valuable this process is, we're definitely going to start a trunk rotation. And it's really amazing how many times 
I've had somebody with like shoulder and neck pain. We go through pattern one and two trunk rotation and trunk flexion. And all of a sudden their shoulders feel better. Their neck feels better. Um, and eventually we'll get to those areas in the shoulders, but you kind of go through that process first, starting at stability in the core, because if you have a weak foundation, everything that's stacked on top of that foundation will never function properly. You build a house on sand, house is going to fall apart, right? Um, but then let's say, say there's somebody who really doesn't want to commit a bunch of time to this, but wants to come into the, into a session and just have me kind of put out a fire, right? Maybe they're having some pretty severe shoulder pain and they've got a strong man comp in a week and a half. True story happens sometimes. And um, oh, we'll go athletes. in. Right, right. Uh, so we'll go in and instead of starting in that prescribed order, I'll do a range of motion evaluation. So let's say, let's say they're, they're having pain in their right shoulder and I can see the right shoulder internally rotates like this, but the left shoulder is coming like super far. So I, that would tell me the internal rotator muscles on that right shoulder aren't contracting to pull you into that range of motion. And so that's kind of more of a, a zoomed in MAT process where we're just focusing on the areas that have a little pain or dysfunction and we're just trying to put out the fire. Um, but if they were willing to commit more time to it, sometimes that internal rotation in the shoulder will pick up just by creating more stability in the trunk. So with my clients, I typically try and have them start with that RX process, start at the foundation and work our way up until we get there because that shoulder internal rotation that's like really limited might be limited as a compensatory mechanism or a safety mechanism for some other dysfunction that's further down the road, I guess. Mm. That was a very long-winded way of answering your question. No, it's, it's usually way more complicated than I just follow a three-step program, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, no, it's it's all individualized. You know, we need to, yeah, we need to go through the, the processes, but that's going to be for the individual in front of me. So it's always going to change. There's going to be nuances. So I, I, no, I respect the shit out of that. That's all, that's all right. I guess my question would be for, for those people who have no idea what we're talking about, right? Probably not in the fitness industry, maybe go to the gym twice a week, have no fucking idea what's going on. How necessary is trunk rotation to life? Wonderful question. Um, Trunk rotation, having stable trunk muscles. So the main trunk muscles we treat for trunk rotation would be transverse abdominis, internal, external oblique, um, your spinalis thoracis, which a lot of people don't even know what that muscle is. Um, but pretty much the muscles that wrap around your core, those muscles are essential for transferring forces from the lower body to the upper body. And, you know, a lot of people who aren't strength athletes might not think that's important, but even when you're just walking the ground and force when your foot hits the ground and forces are traveling all the way up the body. If all of the muscles are working properly, then there's very little forces up in your head by the time the forces get there. But if you have a ton of dysfunction and the muscles in your core can't stabilize and transfer forces properly, you're going to be getting all these unbalanced stresses up in the neck and head that, um, essentially can't be managed. Your head's not supposed to take a lot of impact from the ground. So like having that strong foundation is, is great for everybody. Um, I have some clients, I, I talk about my athletes often 
but I have some clients that just kind of pitter patter around their garden all day and they're bending up, they're bending down, picking up rocks, moving around. And you might not realize how many forces they're encountering day to day. But when you leave that neutral position to bend forward, if the muscles in your trunk can't automatically react to that movement, you're going to end up with a lot of stress along the spine. Mm. So where would you start as like an exercise prescription? You know, because you see in a lot of gyms, it's maybe a cable crunch, a sit up or, you know, you know, the, the stereotypical, let's get some abs, bro. You know, let me do a crunch on a BOSU ball for about 15 minutes and then go get an Instagram picture. You know, where, <laughs> where would you start? Again, everyday folk, you know, twice so, a week, three times a week. This doesn't sound very sexy when you talk about it, but isometric movements are mm -hmm. really not. Movements. Um, it is really difficult for a muscle that doesn't work well to contract at an end range of motion. Um, I'll elaborate on that a little bit. So um, let's say, let's say we're doing abs, right? And you're doing a lot of crunching and moving. Well, obviously we're pulling you kind of away from neutral and taking you into an extreme range of motion by doing a, a full end range sit-up. Well, some people might not actually be able to tolerate those end range, extreme range motions. And I put that in quotation because when I say extreme, it's not necessarily past what you can tolerate, but going to your end range motion for our nervous system is pretty extreme. So I would start people who let's say are not strength athletes, new to the gym, really trying to get into things, literally starting with isometric holds just to try and get these trunk muscles to turn on. Um, Planks are a really good example of an isometric hold and literally just learning how to stimulate those muscles. And then once you know, okay, I actually can turn my transverse on my internal, external obliques and my rectus abdominis on, then we might start looking into crunches or twists. But if they can't even turn the muscles on, you probably don't want them doing twists or crunches at end range of motion because their nervous system can't control it. Mm. it seems kind of boring to do it <laughs> well from the ground floor it seems logic to me but to everyday folk yeah it's going to seem boring like they want to do the sexy stuff right you got to be able to earn the right to get to the sexy stuff but something that always fascinates me is when you get someone comes comes in right whether they're gpp or an ex-athlete you know, and they come on in like inability to know where neutral is, is crazy. You know, inability to actually hinge at the hips. You're like, all right, team, we're going to, we're going to literally bend over. Right. And the hips do not shift at all. And then it's flexed straight through the back. You're like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just picking something up. I was like, is that how you do it? Like, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? How did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. No. And you're like, oh my God, this person's going to hurt themselves. Yeah. And they do eventually, yeah. maybe not <laughs> a couple of years from now, but eventually they will. You know, it's, it's funny you say that one of my, one of my biggest clients, um, really massive, extremely strong. He in March squatted 950. Uh, okay. I don't know what that is in kilos. No, it's okay. I get, I get the calculator. 
Let's do it. 950. Um, while you're doing math, I'll, I'll keep going with my story. Um, and Jesus he, Christ. he do a pistol squat on one of his legs. God. So he cannot. And like, it's just this really like awkward, ugly, falling over pistol squat. He can do it on one leg, but not the other. And what's funny about that is after that meet, a couple weeks later, he hopped back into training too quickly. He was doing sets of five on squats and he strained a quad, one of his vastus lateralis. And the interesting thing about that is the quad he strained is the same leg that he can do a pistol squat on. Hmm. The leg that cannot do a pistol squat on has no pain at all. Hmm. And essentially, whenever he's squatting, what, how many kilos was that? For uh, 432. Crazy, right? Um, so he's squatting 400 kilos. The leg that can pistol squat is taking all of the load, whereas hmm. the left side of the body that can't, is not doing its job so the other side is overcompensating and the other side gets injured and so you have people with this dysfunction somewhere like you said they're going over and bending to pick something up and let's say they end up with a low back injury well chances are it wasn't even low back dysfunction that caused that injury it might be a limitation in hip flexion and trunk flexion and now their low back is having to work too hard to stabilize them just think about that 432 or 950, depending on what metric you want to use. Pretty much through one fucking like. I, I know. Um he he's crazy. It, it's amazing to watch him do it, but then it's also really interesting to take this massive dude mm. and who squats over 400 kilos, put him on the table with me, and I'm just pushing him around like he's a ragdoll. Well, <laughs> not I'm being little bit exaggerating there but i have had people that are so neurologically weak that i just throw them around like that yeah. um a 65 kilo woman yeah. pushing her that big it's uh like if it was strong and those muscles were functional um well the neuromuscular connection really was functional there's no way i should be able to push around a man that's that strong so, so it's quite if someone can't pistol squat but he's a big squat, right? Let's just hypothetically make that scenario. Someone can squat pretty decent, you know, with double, triple body weight, something like that, but can't pistol, pistol squat. What is the light bulb that's going off in your head? Ooh, so sometimes it's a lot of light bulbs um, because where is the train of dysfunction starting? Is it starting at their foot? Is it at their hip? Is it at their trunk? Um, technically, it could be above that, but usually it's a little bit lower in the chain. Um, yeah. But if they can't go into end range dorsiflexion, you know, pulling the toes and the shin together, that can affect the way the hip and the knee moves. Or if they can't go into a full range hip flexion, that can affect the way the knee and the ankle moves. Or if the knee can't go into end range knee flexion, that can affect the way both the ankle and the hip move. So whenever you're looking at this, compound movement like a pistol squat there's so many different places that it can be breaking down um so i'll end up having kind of a couple different ideas of what i think it might be but at the end of the day i won't actually know until you get them on the table and start moving them around um the 
the client specifically that can't do a pistol squat on one leg, but can the other, he was in the military and wore work boots for a really long time. And his toes are just all sorts of like crunched up. His feet are super dysfunctional. Um, so we're, we're kind of in the long run on this process, but I have a, a pretty strong suspicion that for him, the feet are a big limitation in his ability to do a pistol squat. Mm. Um, but yeah, varies person to person. I truly believe watching somebody do a compound movement and seeing what their limitations are from there is not super effective. Mm. Why, why do you think that is? Um, just because a limitation in one area can make it look like that a different area is dysfunctional. So let's say you have somebody yeah. who's squatting with both legs, right? They're doing a normal squat and you see their knees caving in. And I, I have that same problem. You have, you'll have a coach tell you, you know, keep your knees out, use your hips, open your hips. What if this person doesn't actually have a weakness in their hips? What if they essentially are having like an extreme kind of pronation in the hole in their feet? because they can't bring their knees over their toes. So realistically, it's a limitation in dorsiflexion that appears to be a hip weakness. And yep. so you'll have them doing, um, I don't know if y'all call it this, but monster walks where you put yep. the band. Around. So you have them doing monster walks and strengthening their glute need and it never gets any better. Like their, their knees are just still caving in. Well, that's because when they're squatting and doing this compound movement, it does look like it's the hips but you're missing the feet. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I would challenge every coach to train their eye, right? right? Don't just look at the whole thing moving. Like, yeah, you're not going to see much. If you're trying to see everything, you see nothing. You know, it's like, okay, one rep, one rep, we look at the hip and then the next rep, we look at the knee and then the ankle and then the yada, yada, yada. But yeah, I completely, completely agree. If we're, if we're getting somebody to move and we're like, uh, something's off, but I don't really know what, yeah, sometimes yeah. taking them away from that barbell is going to be, it's going to be the most beneficial for that athlete, right? And I love Absolutely. you for bringing in the feet, man. You know, because I think we we rely too much on shoes, especially in a gym setting. I was like, yeah, okay, we need to walk around with. It's a bit weird walking down Metropolis without shoes on, right? Okay, no problem. Like, do what you got to do. Maybe not walk into your corporate scene with no shoes on because coach told me I need to work on the biomechanics of my feet and like no maybe don't throw me under the bus right there but in a gym setting it's a great tool right and I I love it I'm like guys just take your fucking shoes off like let's be honest it's a little piece of leather if a weight drops on your foot with or without your shoe it's gonna have the same outcome you fucked either way you <laughs> drop weight on your foot been there it hurts like hell with without the shoe yeah. It's funny. I have no shoes on right now. We walk around our gym all the time without shoes. It's kind of a thing. Half the people in our gym never wear shoes anymore. My husband started it for for that exact reason. Feet, shoes make your feet weak. I love it. I think it's great. It's a great tool, man. You know, maybe if we're not running in and out of the gym onto concrete, maybe not. Maybe, but maybe not. You know, it's health and safety might have a little bit of a cry about it. But especially with those compound lifts, man, like it's so good. Like grip the floor, feel what's going on. You know, if we tell you to kick upside down into a handstand, what do we tell you to do? It's spread those fingers and grip the floor with your hands. Why? Because you get that feedback, right? It's freaking same. We're just now loading 
you know, your back or your, your legs and you know, like, yeah, do the same with your feet. Well, you know, circling back to um, us talking about walking compound movement and, um, you know, weird compensations happening, like let's say the knee caves. Um, a, a common thing that Greg Roscoff, who, who invented MAT, says is structure dictates function. And obviously he didn't invent that, but it's, it's a common line he says when he's talking to us and teaching us about MAT, um, because the, the shape of the joint dictates how that joint will move. And obviously the muscles play a big part in the function, but it all starts with the structure. And let's say you're teaching somebody to do a sumo deadlift. Well, there's one, not one right way to do a sumo deadlift, right? You know, some people have more external rotation. Some people have more abduction. Um, I personally have got, I've got really long femurs, really long legs, ton of external rotation, but not a ton of abduction. And you would see somebody like me with long legs and think, that I should be super wide and toes to plates. But if I go really wide and try and do a sumo deadlift with a really wide stance, I actually can't push my hips through at the top of the deadlift and I get stuck there. So I have to bring my feet in quite a bit to actually be able to get it through. Similar with squat, you know, if you have somebody whose feet are really wide and maybe their hip structure would be better off with more of a narrow stance, their knees are going to cave when they get to the bottom, not because their hips are weak, but because they're not squatting to their structure. Um, and so that really plays a big part in how we move when we're lifting as well. And I think a lot of coaches just don't really even know how to look for that. Uh, maybe it's nothing that like, it's not that they're doing anything wrong, but it does take some time to figure out like even how to, notice when this is a functional limitation so like they're not strong enough or if this is a structural limitation and they're just not placing their hands feet hips in the right position before the movement even starts i think it probably comes from doing one cert or one qualification or learning one skill of thought and then be like this is gospel this is this is the fucking tits this and you're like well yeah for a portion of the population right but like somebody's always going to walk through those doors it's going to throw out that plan you're like oh crap how am i supposed to help this person now you know and I, I i like like going to different gyms talking to different people talking to different crafts within the fitness industry i'm like well yeah well, there's, there's so many tools that we can use you know eastern or western style of weightlifting is a thing because they both work you know, and then this weird like combination between the two and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the movement's not going to change. So you can teach the movement, right? But you have to coach the individual. And that's what I say all the time. Like if I ever have to uh, take a coach under my wing or something, I was like, yeah, we we, we, we touch on textbook, okay? Teach textbook. Yeah, but then look at the people in front of you and you're going to have to adapt that. Sometimes there's 16 people and 16 people aren't going to do textbook. And I was like, ah, it's going to be annoying or there's going to be a one-on-one. -on -one. You're like, oh, fuck. Like, it's going to be completely different to what I originally thought. And you're like, yeah, that's that's your job, man. Your job is this weird, like, soft skill, you know, ever-changing, like, dynamic between you and another person. Like, that's what we need to yeah. do. And I think you only get that if you have an absolute spectrum of kind of knowledge or resources that you've you've delved into right it's like, oh well maybe i'll go into the old soviet system or i'll go into the new american system you're just like yeah man like they're all there for a reason they all work
Well, yeah. And even within, like, you can look at the way specifically in powerlifting, such as where I, I spend most of my time and energy. Um, but if you look at powerlifting throughout all of the states, there's even different styles of powerlifting from yeah. state to state. Um, yeah. In Texas, like the starting strength style, where it's low bar, head kind of down, very hinged. And then in the Northeast, you might have more of this West side style where it's like really wide stance, more upright, kind of like opening the hips to get in the hole. And then you've got kind of the Wisconsin area where I see most of the girls squatting with their hands all the way to their shoulders and like kind of a high bar, more upright position, not like West side, but also not like Texas. So you kind of get all these different lifting styles. And I've heard a lot of, back and forth between like oh west side, west side and conjugate is trash or starting strength is trash i'm like no none of, none of them are wrong mm. it's all just a different way to do it what's comfortable for you and then even training style how do you enjoy training i hate setting up bands and chains it is like pulling teeth for me i don't even like setting up pin squats i want to like put my barbell in the rack yeah. put the plate bar just do some plain old squat bench and deadlift but i have friends who are like, that makes me want to kill myself figuratively, obviously. But they were like, it is so boring to do the same squat bench and deadlift all the time. And so if you're doing a training style that you don't enjoy, even if it's an effective training style for somebody else, if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to get better. So if you hate going to train every time you go in there, why would you get better? 1000%, you know, <laughs> that's me and my brother. We just funny around with different techniques. Like I like weightlifting. He's more of a powerlifter. And then we just we just throw around with different stuff and then come back together and just basically lift off, you know, just see how the see how your um, technique and the, the bars moving differently. Just in an SPD, I'm not going to make him snatch a clean jerk, right? But it's just like, how's the um, how's the bar movement? You know, oh, what did you do? How did you get so fucking fast? It's like, oh, he likes the bands and chains and stuff. And I'm like, I'm more on yourself. I like, can't be asked setting that up. I'd rather just jump onto a box and be like, yes, yeah, son, I'm going to go snatch now. You know, <laughs> that's going to be, it. I just need a bar on the floor. That's all I need, guys. Love doing the same thing every time. I, I'm at the point in my training where I don't really have to think much about it. You know, I kind of go in and obviously when you first start lifting, it's kind of overwhelming and there's a lot to think about. But man, setting up those bands and chains every time goes back to being a lot to think about. Okay, like how much weight is on the bar with this band? How much resistance is there? Where am I going to set it up? I'm like, nah. Too, ah. It's too much. It's too much thinking for me. Yep. I'm only blown. Yep. <laughs> Chief, I got, I got three questions to finish up. All right. What's the greatest piece of life advice you've ever received? The greatest piece of life advice I've ever received. Never write anything down that you don't want somebody else to know. Oh, wow. Text me, piece of paper, anything. Now in video, too. Never record anything that you don't want somebody else to know. That's wow. my grandma. That's good. Not heard that one before. It's it, it served me well. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while now. But I have to burn some pieces of paper. <laughs> What's the uh, worst piece of life advice you've ever received? Ooh. 
worst piece of life advice? You might have to circle back to that one. That's What's all right. the third? Yeah, let me think about that. That's all right. Third question Oh. is, uh, oh. You all right? Yeah, no, we're good. We're good. Sorry. Oh, I thought you said something. Um, third piece, uh, third uh, question is three words you tell younger self. Three words, what? You would tell your younger self. I like I have something I would tell myself, but I don't know how to put it in three words. That's all right. Let's 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 hear it. Essentially, it's not that big of a deal. Mm. Sometimes you just get caught up in this moment where life just seems like it's a crisis. And I look back on different moments where I was just having a horrible time and we're past it. Wasn't Yeah. that big of a deal? Still can't think of the worst piece of life advice I've ever gotten, though. That's good though. I'm sure there are some, but maybe I'm like, that was BS. I'm going to not worry about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ma I know. <laughs> Go get a master's degree. <laughs> Why is that bad advice? I actually was on track to go to physical therapy school and one thing led to another. My transcripts ended up in the wrong place and um, I missed the interview window and I ended up going down a completely different route, found MAT, started a business. Um, I'm actually doing this podcast from a gym that my husband and I opened just over a year ago. And instead of going into $200,000 in debt for physical therapy school, I now have a successful business. We're doing really well. And I wouldn't have been able to open this business this so soon had I gone to PT school. So that. I'm so happy to hear you uh, kicking ass and taking names, mate. That's cool as shit. Thank You know, you. people Thank just just trailing their own uh, own path, you know, not accepting the social norm, so to speak. That's it's it's forever gonna fire me the hell up. So, mate, this has been an honor, a privilege. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you inviting me on. It was great to meet you and great to chat with you. Always talk shit, mate. And where whereabouts are you at? You're uh, Toronto, eh? No, San Antonio, Texas. Oh, you in Texas? Yep. Well, if I ever get out to the uh, the Wild West, you know, Oh, I'll put my yeah. cap. Got to be on the south part of the Wild West. Texas is massive. So hopefully you'll make it down this way one day. It's so big, mate. I flew through it on the way back to New Zealand, um, just this uh, past arm. Just looking out that window, mate, that it's so much friggin' space. So I don't know if you're familiar with like how big or how far apart the states are, but if I drive from where I am down in South Texas to California, I'll spend just as much time in Texas as I would outside of Texas. You just got And too I much space, man. It's just... Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I love it though. I love it though. There's so much to learn from everybody. That culture all around is what makes, you know, this what makes life beautiful. You know, it's one of the reasons why this thing's called the Nomadic Podcast. That just jot around like a bit of a nomad, a bit of a hillbilly, you know. And uh, I love mate, it. I'll I'll make it out. All Make right. it out sometime. 
Well, hopefully we'll get to meet in person one day. It was so great to meet you this time, though. Yes, miss. You go have a good day and I'll we'll speak soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks, man. Bye, everybody.